Welcome to the Unlucky Frog Gaming Podcast. You are joined by your usual hosts here. We've got uh, Ben Porter. Hello. We've got Tom Mannering. Hello. And we've got myself, Josh Hartley, here. Uh, how are we all doing, guys? Tom, you've uh, you you've had uh, like some important real world stuff happen to you yesterday, <laughs> specifically. I did. Yes, I did. I got my uh, my first COVID jab, uh, which was very quick and very efficient. And made me feel like crap. <laughs> so it's uh, it's been great, but no, it's um it's a it's not too bad, um, and it's no. worth it for worth the suffering in the long term. So uh, go and get it done, folks. That's my serious message for the week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, get get your vaccine as soon as you uh, as soon as you called up. Um, how, how how have you been otherwise then? Good, good. Um, I had a couple of days off work, so I sorted out a few bits of hobby stuff. Um, I've ordered uh, the new Kill Team expansion. Uh, I got a new expansion for Marvel Champions this morning in the post, so it's uh, all coming up roses, hobby-wise, for me. You never posted the Marvel Champions in the 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 group chat. You normally you normally post it so that we can all we can all make jokes about running an intervention. Well, yeah, that's. Uh, I'll be honest, I forgot. Um, okay. With with my head being a bit fuzzy this morning, it didn't uh, didn't actually occur to me. Um, but you can send me messages after the stream if you want. <laughs> yes, I'll consider it. I'll consider it. Nice. It's very uh, kind. Ben, how's how's your week been? Um, my my week's been a little bit intense. Like I said mm-hmm. to you guys before we started recording, uh, this has been the. Uh, first week that we've had in a while where we've not had uh, we've not had a bit of help with uh, Nathaniel for part of the week, so it's uh, it's been it's been tough uh, mm-hmm. juggling my my various commitments, but we got there, and I I, I still did manage to do um, a bunch of painting. Uh, specifically, uh, I've got a bunch of a Mister Hartley's uh, Death Guard painted this week, so. Yeah, you have. Uh, yeah. I've, I've saw the uh, the almost finished uh, tally man on your your Facebook yeah. for Ash and Hold yeah. Art. So he's looking great, <laughs> and you was just showing off a little nurgling before yeah. we started recording there. Yeah. Uh, I think nurglings are probably like my favourite element of the Death Guard. That they're all brilliant. Like w- <laughs> any any that come with the character models. I I, I feel that that nurglings. Probably of all the sort of the various entities and creatures that you get within the Nurgle ranges, both in Age of Sigmar mm-hmm. and Forty K, they they probably most embody uh, Nurgle, the essence of Nurgle. I think. Yeah, because he's Cause supposed ho- to be hor- horrible little plague ridden mm. creatures, but they're they're jolly little fellows as well. I was gonna say, yeah, he's supposed Nurgle's supposed to be a pretty uh, pretty happy guy uh, yeah. most of the time. So yeah, there we are. So uh, yeah, we've got a few things uh, to discuss. Uh, d- 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 hang on, how are you, Josh? Oh, uh, I'm all right. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I said before the, the the recording, 
No chat at all, really. Uh, just been working away. I have got my Necron Warriors, uh, the first batch of them finished now. So that's 20 of them done. Uh, and I've started work on the Scorpet Destroyers that are in Indomitus, and they're, they're great. They look so cool. I haven't even finished them, but I'm like, these guys look awesome. I can't wait to <laughs> to get back to Which ones to are these. they? They're the... Um, they are the sort of bi- bigger um, infantry models with three legs, and they've got, like, massive yeah. blades. I know it's, which one you mean ba- now. It's basically, like, it's the concept of, like, a centaur, but with a necron and a scorpion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's quite cool. I, f- I feel like that adequately explains the whole concept. <laughs> I, it, it kind of looks like when you put a warrior next to one of them, it kind of looks like an evolution chain in Pokemon. <laughs> like, like at the top of the chain is the um, the Skullpack Destroyer Lord. <laughs> um, but yeah, otherwise, um, otherwise not been up to an awful lot. But we do have we do have some bits and pieces of news to talk about. The first off, um, first off the block, uh, Hall or Nothing have announced that uh, eighteen fifteen Scum of the Earth will be launching on Kickstarter soon. This is, of course, uh, the follow-on from 1066 Tears for Many Mothers and 1565 St. Elmo's Ploy, the historical-based... St. Elmo's Pay. Well, now I look like an idiot. (laughs) St. Elmo's Pay. A bit into the podcast this time, though, so, you know. (laughs) Wow. I thought you doped up might make you a little nicer to me, but (laughs) evidently I am wrong. (laughs) Like... Cannot suppress it, mate. <laughs> I'll be, I'll uh, be yeah. on my deathbed like, tell Josh, I said screw you. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, uh, 1565 St. Elmo's Pay. I beg your pardon. Uh, so these are... Uh, as, um, as Tristan named the, the system, is it just the historical battle games that he's... I don't hey, know. He has named it. Hold on. Uh, I should have looked this yeah. up. Yeah. Bringing your you could, we could have got away with it if you hadn't asked if he'd named it, but now that I know you could have just you could have just breezed past it, and no one would have been any the wiser. Mm. Well, make a rod for so, your own back. Okay, so the the Hall or Nothing historical battle series has has now been officially named the Historic Epic Battle System. There we go. So 1815 Scum of the Earth, of course, is uh, the Battle of Waterloo as well. And you get to uh, choose either the Iron Duke or uh, Napoleon. So, um, yeah, uh, looking forward to that. Uh, we, we really like 1066. We still haven't got 1565 played. Thank you. Thank you, Global Pandemic. Um, but uh, uh, if... if uh, by all accounts, 1565 is a pretty good game as well. Uh, so, looking forward to uh, seeing more of 1815. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, we we really enjoyed uh, 1066. Um, and it, it, it's really quite ingenious what Tristan's done, where he it, it's an evolution of the, 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 the sort of card game quest system that you have in like a lot of the 
the fantasy flight living card yeah. games. Uh, specifically, it put me in the mind of like the the Lord of the Rings card game, mm-hmm. where you, where you basically playing this this mini campaign. Um, it's just a really neat system. So I'm looking forward to to seeing what he does with Waterloo. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, other bits of news, uh, we already knew that Hatchet were going to be doing a, a new Partworks magazine for Warhammer 40,000. We got a lot more detail on that earlier this week and it's officially launched as well. So uh, it is called Warhammer 40,000 Imperium. Very similar to uh, previous iterations like Conquest and Age of Sigmar. Uh, what was the Age of Sigmar one, uh, called again? It was called Mortal Realms. And it, it, Mortal Realms. I mean, we're talking about past tense. The uh, Mortal Realms is still going in the same that's, way. That, yeah, sorry, that's in the true. same way that when Mortal Realms began, Conquest was still going. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, because they, they they do they have a span that that goes on for way over a year, possibly. I think two years. Uh well, I mean, we know for we know for this one that it's going to be eighty issues. So, um, yeah, well well over a year. Um, we know the contents of the first four uh, issues. Nothing terribly surprising. Some, some of the characters from Indomitus. We've got some easy build Necrons, uh, Assault Intercessors. And we've got uh, the, <laughs> the Scorpec Destroyer Lord, uh, Destroyers that I was talking about earlier as well. What we do know though is we've got like the big group shot of everything that you're going to get in uh, over the entire course of the uh, magazine. Uh, so as, as well as all the terrain that you, they usually throw in, you get a pretty sizable Necron army. Uh, and what I think is really interesting that they've done is on the Imperium side, it isn't just Space Marines. You're going to get some Sisters of Battle and you're going to get some Adeptus Mechanicus as well. So I... I I've subscribed to it because <laughs> I'm a sucker. <laughs> but uh, just, a, just a really good headline there. Josh subscribes to new GW product. Nobody is surprised. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- but, I think uh, I think as as cool as it is that they that they're chucking some uh, sisters of battle and some uh, adeptus mechanicus into the mix. I feel like they kind of have to because given that most people subscribing to Imperium will have already subscribed to Conquest. They're gonna have a lot of Space Marines already. Yeah, exactly right, and uh, it's just nice to have a bit of variety. So you uh, you were subscribed Ben to uh, Mortal Realms, so you know uh, now that that's kind of coming towards the end of the life cycle, was was that worth it for you? Um, I would say up to a point. Um, the for 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 me the, the the sort of early issues of Mortal Realms coincided with when lockdown kicked off, mm-hmm. so it was quite nicely timed uh, because it it gave me something else to work on, and um, it meant that I was working on quite a few Night Hunt, which I don't where I don't really collect them myself. It gave me something else to do because because I already had like the Soul Wars. Half yeah. with the Stormcast, I did find that I've I've got a a lot of Stormcast doublers, mm-hmm. and I think I think this is maybe uh, I would say one of the yeah I mean so I guess some people won't even see it as a problem because they're 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 just getting models at a really really good price. But for me, I think 
uh, the problem with a lot of the early issues of these part works is that if you're already all in on 40k or Age of Sigmar, you probably already own a lot of the models in those early issues. Yeah, and I'm certainly going to get a couple of um, uh, a couple of models uh, that I've already I already own. I mean, like the the Necron Warriors, like I. Always, I think you're always going to want more, like more Necron warriors. Well, that, to the that's point. fine because, like the the Indomitus Necron warriors, that's basically the Necron warrior kit. It's a yeah. bit more of a pain for your Space Marines, right? Because they're quite an elite army, and then you're going to have like the same sculpts repeating throughout your army. Which, I mean, I, I guess uh, like a lot of people that are just want to build an army to game with, are maybe not bothered by that, but. Um, I'm I'm a little bit more fussy with how my army looks, and I, no, I, hate I, I having the the same sculpts. Absolutely, no, I I'm the same. If I can if I can help it, like I'm not gonna get precious about like I said the Necron warriors because I'm gonna have like dozens of them, so that's that's not an issue. But those uh, the Scorpec destroyers, I'm gonna I'm gonna have a look and see if there's a different way that I can build them up so that they've got slightly different uh, poses to the the three that I got in Indomitus. Uh, and yeah, there's characters like I, I get the first issue as a royal warden, which I already have. So I don't know. I'll, I'll probably just give that to someone. <laughs> it's like yeah. a a to his his a token Necron. <laughs> um, but at, at least I suppose with the Space Marine stuff, you could paint it a different chapter. Is the the only other thing that you could maybe do just to vary it up a bit. Um, you actually get some um, ultramarine specific stuff at some point because you were they're gonna <laughs> lame. Yeah. Like, you get uh, Magnus Calgar, uh, you get his honor guard, and you get uh, Reboot Gilliman as well. So they're not quite uh, big <laughs> models. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Ma Magnus Calgar's like probably sort of Terminator size mm. but he's got his mm -hmm. two flunkies but that'll be one sprue, that'll be one issue because Gulliman's like, massive yeah, yeah, yep. Gulliman might be like staggered over two or three issues right, okay but they, yeah, they, that's did, what they, they did the same do. in Mortal Realms where they um, they included the um, Celestine Prime which mm -hmm. is the the big dude for the Stormcast okay. and then in, in the, the latter issues of Conquest, they did quite a few tanks. Yeah, wow. I mean, like, uh, they, don't, they don't seem to be doing any tanks in this one, but there are definitely bigger kits. Like, you've got, like, the big Necron Walker um, in there, like, a, a, the aforementioned Reboot Gilliman. Um, you get the Outriders as well, like, the, the new bikers from Indomitus. So, you know, it's... Um, uh, Fohammer, who uh, which uh, Ben does some work for, did a really good article on it where they break down actually like how much you get and how much you save by subscribing to it. Um, so we'll provide a link to that article in the show notes. For, so that... Fohammer in general, I know it's, it's a bit of a plug because I write for them, but, but Fohammer is the best place for information with regards to um, the the Games Workshop part works because he gets all of his information direct from Hatchet, so yeah. he he ahead of time will uh, publish on the website uh, what what's going to be available in coming issues. So it means that if you don't necessarily want to uh, subscribe, you know when to maybe keep an eye out in shops for specific issues. Mm -hmm. 
A nice thing with this one as well is they've got um, a premium uh, subscription, uh, which in previous iterations, I don't know. Uh, no, that's that. They've, they, they definitely had that. Um, no, they had it in both. They did. That's not yeah, right. but I, no, what I was going to say is I don't know whether it was worth it in the previous uh, previous it's, subscriptions. No, it's more or less the same idea where you get mm. um, a, a bunch, basically like a, a, a small army yeah um spread out throughout the year and you get some literature with it they in the first one they actually did like a subscription specific space marine chapter called the silver templars and they had painting guides for them and everything yeah and a transfer sheet and then for age of sigmar the, um they're doing what they what they're doing with imperium where it's like four other factions yeah so with this one you uh, if you pay 2 pounds per issue more You'll get like a a big box of Chaos Space Marines, uh, Tyranids, uh, Tau, and uh, Orcs. Right at the end, um, I didn't go for that. Like I think if I was really really keen on one of those factions, I, I might have. But nah. Um, but again, think, it's for, it, for, it's for me. Like with, with with the magazines already, I actually sought my subscription because I've got. I've actually still got a pretty sizable backlog of stuff. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like the premium thing is just going to add to yeah. your shelf of shame unless you're an absolute machine and have no other commitments. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. You know, there's not much point in buying uh, more models to sit and get the dust unbuilt, unpainted. However, if you listening uh, are considering subscribing to uh, Imperium... But you're concerned that you're not going to be able to uh, paint all of them. We, we, we do have a, a solution for you. What is that solution, Josh? Ash and hold up. <laughs> Air horn sound effects. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it's been ages since I've done it. it. It is, it is. I'll give you that bit. I'll give you that. It's the, it's the most like, clunky segue. That he does it with as well, isn't it? You can, you can tell it's coming as like kind of yeah. like rollerballs excitement into it. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, uh, we'll we'll provide a link for action hold art as well if you uh, it should it should you wish to check out Ben's uh, commission painting service, which is great. To be fair, mm. th- th- thank you guys. Thank you for the yeah. shameless plug, Josh. And thank you for the, <laughs> the compliment, Tom. Right, yeah. So, um, something uh, not news wise, but something that we've been doing this week is uh, the three of us uh, got started again on our Age of Sigmar Soulbound campaign. So, we have picked up um, with uh, Daygrom, which is Ben's character, the, the Fire Slayer. Um, I am still playing Norgrand, the um, Caradron, uh, uh, Caradron Overlord. And um, Tom has created a new character for this uh, for I this have. part of the campaign. So, yeah. like, it, you were playing Alenza, who was like a Stormcast Eternal previously. So, was there a particular reason why you wanted to try a different character? Um, there were a couple of reasons. Um, so, I think one of the big ones for me, and I kind of said this to you guys, is the the Stormcast just felt a bit OP. In the in the role playing game, mm-hmm. um, because they're they're very strong character build wise, because they're stormcast. But you've also got the prestige that immediately comes with them. It's just int- if you if you're playing 
if you're playing the game right, which I know is a is a controversial way to put it, but mm-hmm. you know, in the the lore, as far as I understand it, they have a lot of influence in the the mortal realms. Yeah, uh, and we did find that you know when when we were doing things, there was a lot of deference, um, and there was from a storyline perspective, there was a bit of tension between uh, Alenza and uh, Dagram. Uh, <laughs> and so uh, Scott, our GM, very kindly let myself and Josh do a little mini arc where Alenza kind of got to wrap up his immediate goals. Uh, but then I said I kind of wanted to play a bit, just a bit more of a grounded character um, who wasn't quite as. Uh, Can I just interject there and say that I I had to leave because I was moving house. Tom and I did not fall out over this game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Sorry, no, that's that's that. that's a good point yeah. to make. Yeah. <laughs> there was that bit where Ben wasn't on the podcast as well. You could really spit a drama out of all this. Like, oh, you know, <laughs> yeah. ben, ben and Tom had, had a massive falling out, and no, but no, it was nothing like that. Um, <clears throat> so I've made a new character who is uh, Niara Puck Hart, who is kind of a she's a trade pioneer, but she's a bit of a roguish uh, sort of bardish character almost uh, she's got a bit of knowledge she's a bit of a jack of all trades uh she's a bit more my speed as well she's a bit more fun and uh less stormcasty <laughs> mm-hmm. less less booting skaven into to lava one of the things that that we'd even said um and it's kind of jarring that like on all the cover art the Stormcast is front and centre. I kind of get it because they are like the poster children of the setting but the other weird thing is they're, they're not actually part of the binding mm-hmm. which is the, the context that, that basically groups your characters together and um, mm-hmm. you know where you you know like they, they fleshed out a lot more in the new Champions of Order supplement but it's like one of the gods of the Pantheon in the Mortal Realms has bound these souls together for a specific purpose but the the Stormcast is like peripheral to it, it's weird Yeah I think if I'd, if if it had been my call to make, I wouldn't have included Stormcast as an initial playable race I would have probably brought them out further down the line and focused on the other races mm-hmm. of Order uh, and maybe done a a bit more with humans because they only really had trade pioneer and battle wizard mm-hmm. out the gate, and you could have done a bit more, you know, with with them, uh, and then kind of brought the stormcast in later for maybe higher level play as well, you know, to add to a group. Maybe if your character dies and you can't yeah. bring a new character into the binding, so you come back as a you know a, a stormcast who's more powerful yeah. and can match up with the the rest of the party, and then you can kind of do the stormcast justice for for how they do kind of rack up against a you know rank and file dude. Not saying that anyone like, is just soulbound groups weak. Yeah. Well, our, our one of our initial criticisms was with regards to the whole binding thing, because it's alluded to, but it's not really explained, and like, it does have mechanics and all that. But certainly, we were all kind of scratching our heads a little um, with the original rulebook. But cha- again, Champions of Order, uh, they fleshed that out a lot more. Mm-hmm. But I think I think that with regards to the binding, I would say one of the things that they maybe need to work towards is actually having a mechanic that explains the existence of a stormcast in the party and like for me it would be as simple as your stormcast is not soul bound they are oath bound to a party why are they oath bound to the party and then yeah. that that's that's a very neat and simple way of, of if someone wants to play that character what oath of service are they sworn to with this party why are they mm-hmm. there blah 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 yeah, I agree with that. I think that would be a, a strong way to do it. And we we have kind of said that there were a few weaknesses with the core book 
the binding being one of them, the the short and long term goals being very nebulous and not having any kind of examples given that Champions of Order really kind of does address quite well uh, with a lot more sort of sample uh, binding, sample uh, goals for for all the different races. Just gives you a bit more context. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. One one of the things that I I especially like about the Champions of Order book is that um, it it fleshes out uh, character gen as a whole because it adds new spells, new prayers uh, and new talents and it also adds in this system where you actually pick what sub-faction your character belongs to so if you're a Cardron Overlord it's what Skyport you're from or if you know, you're know mm-hmm. a Fire Slayer it's what um, it's what Lodge you're from and it actually gives you um, a perk for that so, um, so my character uh, Dagrum, although he is from my homebrew lodge, the Hrockvorn Lodge. He is originally from the Ulrung Lodge in Shaish. Because th- this is one mm-hmm. of the, 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 the sort of cool new things that helps with storytelling with the Fire Slayers is that if a, a lodge is wiped out or disbanded, what happens is they go and they're absorbed by other lodges. So it means that it's not like the dwarves of old, like where, you know they're going down with their ship once their hold's gone, that's it. They're all shaving their heads and then they're dead kind of thing. Mm-hmm. There's still a sense of progression. So the, the Ulrung perk, the, you actually get two talents for being Ulrung. I think it's, it's called something like... Um, it's like Embers of Grimnir, the rule's called. Um, it gives you the rule Urgold Mastery, which means that you permanently keep one of your Urgold runes. Like even after an adventure's gone, you always have the power of that. You, you, you. The idea is that you've mastered your gold so much that you can still, like, harness energy through it even after it's spent. And then the other one you get, which is awesome, is, um, old enemy, uh, parenthesis undead. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of like the you know like the undead killer trait in Final yeah. Fantasy, where you've you've got an edge when you're fighting against undead but what i've worked out is my, my soul stat is four and the the number of our goal runes that you can use is determined by your soul stat so right with our gold mastery i th- i'll double check this but i think i can have five our gold runes active oh nice Good. so it means that i i can i can actually use daygrum as like a full-on like D cleric style character where he can he can become pretty nasty and melee as well as having all his prayers. It's never a bad thing. Do you know what else is in Champions of Order? What's that? No. Lumineth Realm Lords. <laughs> oh yeah. Tom's oh, Tom. Why didn't you why didn't you build yes. a Lumineth Realm Lord? Do you know I did look at them? Uh I, I spent <laughs> I spent a day building my new character and I was like, it'd be kind of funny if I rocked up to the session with Ben and Josh and was like, here's my character. I hate them already. Um mm-hmm. but nah, they they didn't obviously didn't interest me given my uh, particular hatred but i was scrolling down through new character options and then they've got obviously a, a big spread and i was just every page winced me you know <laughs> scrolling through it i really i i can't wait for the destruction uh supplement to come out because i really i think it'll be so fun to do a uh a campaign as destruction uh heroes <laughs> Is like, that that's like orcs and ogres, right, and stuff? Uh, it's orcs, ogres, all the green skins, uh, yeah, ogres, the giants. Although I very much doubt they're gonna let us play a, 
<laughs> a son of behind that. I, I, I like uh, I like that they're going to do it, but that to me screams like one shot. I think mm-hmm. I think that 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 would potentially get uh, pretty tedious right away. I suppose the other thing is that there's a, there's maybe not anything stopping you from plugging an orc into a regular soulbound game. In theory, is there? I, so I I don't know the um. I, I am not anywhere near as familiar with the lore of Age of Sergamar as you are, Ben. So, like, the the issue in other fantasy settings, are, like the Forgotten Realms, for, for an example, is, like, you can play a full-blooded orc, but people see you as a monster, you know? Like, it, it makes role-playing quite problematic because every yeah. town that you go in, the, the first, inst- like, the first reaction of any... Uh, NPC is to either run or kill you. So, uh, how how are they? How are the Oryx treated in Age of Sigma? Is it? Um, the, there there are accounts, um, and I've certainly seen instances in the lore where they actually work as mercenaries in some okay. of the cities, things like that. Um, it, it's not as if they're a common sight, but it does happen. And then obviously we've seen in Cursed City, there's a, a an ogre in the ensemble for that. So. Yeah, they they they're not um, in in Warhammer Fantasy. They were they were one of like the evil races, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the, not so much in an Age of Sigmar. I guess like the the evil factions are probably like you know death and chaos. Um, and some of the factions in order, frankly. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, some of some of the order factions. Yeah, but um, destruction as a whole, they're they're they 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 lean more into this sort of. They're more like a like force of nature type thing. They're not inherently yeah. evil, and some people pay to harness that force of nature. So. In the old uh, the old Road Trader role playing game, you could play an orc. You play an orc freebooter. In yeah. that as well, they found a way to kind of uh, because rogue traders kind of sit on the fringes of the Imperium in every yeah. sense. Uh, they they could have you know Xenos races, so they could have like mm-hmm. orcs and Eldar and uh, a few others as well. Um, so I think I, I think it's doable. Certainly, I think it's. I, I'd actually rather run an orc in an order group than in a, a destruction group because you'd have presumably the rest of the team kind of reining them in. Whereas if you go full destruction, as Ben says, it's it's just going to be a bit of smash and grab. You know, it's not really going to have much in the way of structure. So you'd only get maybe a one shot or a mini arc out of it. I think the the character that I would want to build out of the destruction faction would be a gloom spike git, um, just to play this utterly horrible goblin. <laughs> it would be quite fun. But... It's a weird balance. Like... Hmm? Well, on you go. No, no, after you, sir. I insist. Uh, I was just, <laughs> I was just going to say. Probably a, a, a bit of a balancing act, though, not making him so obnoxious that no that no one wants to play in a campaign with you. But um, but yeah, uh, I, th- I think it would be fun. It's always a tricky thing with uh, like lots of systems have tried it before, where you play as an evil party or a or a party of anti heroes can very quickly mm-hmm. go off the rails. You know, you run you run a high risk of things like PvP or touching on subject matters that people you know really don't want to want to address because yeah. of the baddies um, there have been some uh, successful elements of it Pathfinder did a, a campaign called Hell's Vengeance I think it was where you played as evil characters but you were all lawful evil so you were all very much right. kind of uh, tyrannical rather than you know mm-hmm. just sow the seeds of chaos I think if you've got a group that's all you know facsimiles of the Joker 
it's just it's not gonna end well <laughs> yeah i think like um uh, lawful evil is one of the alignments that i think is really interesting to play chaotic evil i think is really difficult to do well like without just being just just awful well, for awful by, sake by, by definition it runs roughshod over everything right mm-hmm. including yeah. other players so yeah. that's it right and you don't want to you don't want to be that player right who's he, well, you he, always... he's pissing off the rest of the party yeah exactly i mean you walk a line with that if you if you play a system with like alignment chaotic neutral can always be a bit of a a questionable one as well because you're not tied to the benevolence of being good uh and you kind of straddle that line between good and evil uh but because you're chaotic you're you know you're, you could be doing anything uh, mm-hmm. not to get into an alignment debate but i've seen it, it there's a reason why chaotic neutral is sometimes called chaotic douchebag because that's, <laughs> that's exactly uh, whereas like the the other chaotic alignment chaotic good that you, we could actually sit here and rhyme off a load of characters and like video games and TV that are that. You're, but you're you're a good guy, but you've got your own moral code. Yep. Mm-hmm. So uh, you still have strictures that you're adhering to. Mm-hmm. You just tend to shirk authority. Like the the epitome of chaotic good is Dirty Harry, right? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Actually, the the first the first fictitious character that comes to mind for chaotic good would be Aladdin. Like. Um... I don't he, think I, he, I would. I would he, say Aladdin's more sort of could, neutral, neutral good. Yeah, to he be could honest. go either yeah. way, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, maybe it's weird because an interesting one that comes up with that is Batman. Because a lot of people say Batman's lawful good, but then you're like, well, he's a vigilante, so he's he's going against <laughs> yeah. the structure. So is he not neutral good or chaotic good? But then it's like, but he actually plays by his own set of rules. So does that then not make him lawful again? So it's alignments are, it's a tricky one for sure. Yeah. Uh, it's very, it's as much as the D and D compass is like the most fleshed out as far as alignment goes. Even then, very seldom yeah. does a character fit neatly into any mm-hmm. one of those categories. And the other uh, thing is that it's actually quite boring uh, in a from a Tory storytelling perspective if a character stays neatly in one of those boxes. Yeah, your alignment shifts, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah um, I've I've seen like characters of mine that have survived and. Have played like I've been that I'd played for like years. Definitely started shifting <laughs> in their uh, their like. I think I said to Tom if uh, if um, Orland didn't get killed uh, when he did, he was probably shifting down to like true neutral rather than neutral good because he was starting to get really jaded with, yeah. <laughs> with the rest of the world. I think but, the, the alignment system works well if you assume it's the default of how your character will react without any external pressures or stresses yeah but then as soon as you know as soon as you start to put other stresses on that there's no reason why they can't and shouldn't come out of those boxes sure yeah you know that's how you act on a day-to-day basis and then does that get tested if you know you're, you're put in a situation that you just can't reckon you know reconcile that alongside mm-hmm. anyway that's a alignment yeah, we, of we... an episode in itself we went so far off piece there that we're on a different mountain. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, we, we so bringing it back to Age of Sigma. We've been having fun with it. Um, it's uh, it was good to good to meet Puck and uh, good to uh, good to get stuck into a new uh, campaign. So we are in um, uh, Anvil Fall, is it? Anvil Guard. 
And Vulgard. Yeah, there we go. That's me getting things wrong again. <laughs> <laughs> Something new for you. So and yeah. Anvilgard um is still we're still in the realm of fire, but we're in a more tropical region, whereas like um the Tempest Eye that we were in before was probably yeah. more sort of rugged, mountainous mm-hmm. uh, part of the world. So um there's a it, Anvilgard's surrounded by like this monstrous jungle that's always trying to swallow everything up, but they yeah. the alchemists in the city keep it at bay with this uh, miasma so it, it's a really interesting city because it's got this permanent like fog this permanent gloom hanging over it mm-hmm. which is it's quite atmospheric it, it meshes quite nicely with the you know the the animals of the Heldenhammer uh, persona yeah and also like it, it's basically the dark elf city and age of sigmar as well it's full of corsairs and darkling covens etc it's interesting because when Scott ran us through the initial campaign, that was all of his own making. Um, mm-hmm. But now this is actually the the Shadows in the Mist campaign, which is a, a scripted campaign. Um, yeah. And I know that's another criticism we kind of leveled against uh, Soulbound was the lack of, of scripted material for GMs to kind of balance their their creations against because you just Scott was just throwing stuff against a wall and seeing what stuck. Really, if we're he did, a, he did a great job. Like for, fortunately, Scott like had you know has a lot of knowledge about Age of Sigmar that he was able to draw right. draw upon. But yeah, I think he'd be kind of stuck if he didn't. Certainly at the beginning. Oh yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't have GM'd it for Toffee. <laughs> just to say that you're in a mortal realm. There are things yeah. happening. <laughs> events transpire that's game see you later yep. good good job guys good job uh and also uh, on a related note tom you pointed out that the the day we were playing this uh, it was gm appreciation day it was so. yes so uh, so march the 4th uh is recognized as gm appreciation day i do not know who by uh i don't know who in, who invented this but i'm i'm a big fan of their work I was going to say, I'm guessing it's a GM. <laughs> yeah, I would imagine so. Um, but I think it's a great, a great thing. Um, I, I think there are a lot of GMs out there, and I've, I've known a lot of GMs in my time mm-hmm. that, that don't get the appreciation they deserve for the time, the money, you know, dedication, the patience. If we're being brutally honest, that they, they put into what they do. Um, and while I am lucky, Josh, to have players that are grateful, <laughs> not all oh, yeah. GMs have that. Uh, that luxury so nice little uh tidbit i think particularly uh particularly gms that take part in organized play it's one thing running a game for people that you know and you're friends with but um when when it could be anyone rocking up uh i imagine that can be quite testing <laughs> for sure definitely and, yeah. and i i can tell you from from having done a lot of organized play uh over 150 games in fact as the trophy to my left says uh right. you you will get some truly horrendous and truly ungrateful swines of players at your table uh who i, I always think of role playing and, and i think anyone should and does uh, as a collaborative experience and you know you get out of it what you put into it and if you if you turn up to a game and you look at the GM and you go, you entertain me, you have come in with the wrong mindset straight yeah. away. Yeah, yeah. Dan Dan Harmon phrases it quite eloquently when he says that role playing games are essentially collective storytelling games. 
Yep. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Do you do you wanna share any war stories? With this, Tom, or? I, I could be here all day to be honest. Uh, I've had, I've, I, I've had, and I've heard of players falling asleep at tables. You know, players like the, the one that, and I'm using this firsthand, Josh. I have, I have very little tolerance for people sitting on their phones during games. Yes, because I, I find it really ignorant. If, if I was talking to you socially, and you're on your phone, I'd give you a slap. So if I'm See, actually, I, I've I've been in parties where everyone does that, and the first few sessions I was a bit like, "What is everyone doing?" Aye, but it was like no 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 one criticised it, no one pulled it up. I think it was this. I think the perception within that party was that, you know, like you do your bit with the the DM, the GM, and then the next one cycles in and then like but yeah it made for quite a, a weird experience i was gonna say it's maybe fair enough if everyone at the table is fine doing that but like to me that just strikes me as like everyone just waiting for their turn and not engaging with any of the other parties you're kind of like just running an adventure for five solo well that's players. it yeah that's, that's five solo campaigns you know it's five solo stories you're not yeah. you're not building a story together you're not engaging like by, by way of example, when we've played uh, Star Wars Online or, or other things, the group get excited when someone succeeds or someone fails because you're invested in everybody's actions yeah. as they contribute towards the group. You know, I remember a couple of weeks ago we had an episode in Star Wars where uh, it was it was very sort of close to the knuckle. You were trying to escape a, an Imperial detention center and everybody was really nervous about every check and every action that the rest of the party were taking because not only were they invested in what that player was doing but how that impacted them and the story uh, as a whole and that's how it should be it should be you know shared excitement shared enjoyment yeah. uh, you know whatever emotion you're you're trying to bring to the table and yeah as i i hate it i hate unengaged players and i, I think it is one of the first things and there, there are some really ungrateful buggers out there that i have had the the misfortune of gming for um not so much these days thankfully uh I kind of whittled them out of my <laughs> My campaign's fairly well, bright. I, I, I was like a late addition to to that group, so you know, I, as much as I found it weird, I, I didn't feel I could go. Hey, excuse me, can we put the phones away, please? Because that that was like the established culture within the group. But yeah, equally, I didn't feel right doing that myself. So my compromise was I just brought some of my managers along, and I would just like paint them at the table. Mm. Yeah. There is a there is a time and a place that I don't mind so much. If it's a very detached scene and their character doesn't necessarily need to know, if you really need to go and check your phone, you know, if you're messaging someone and planning something for later that night or the next day, I, I kind of, I can, I'll, I'll allow that for want of a better way of putting it. But yeah. if it's if it's just two minutes off your character and you're, you're on your phone all the time, and it gets tricky to monitor as well, because, you know, p- people who use their phone for the character sheets, for, for rules, Yeah, right, I was going to say that, yeah. Like, it, mm-hmm. gets, it gets really, really tricky, but... Uh, don't do it. Uh, show your show your party and show your GM a little a little respect. Um, you know they've they've all made the time to be there with your company and, and to have the experience together. So have the bloody experience together. Yeah. So it's a little bit um, with regards to the phone thing. It's like when you're in church, like a lot of people have, like they say they have their Bible on their phone now, but you can tell the ones that are at it because they never once look up. Because most most people, if they're just using it for reference, they have it in front of them yeah. and they consult it when they need to. So, like, similarly, like, in, in role-playing games, if someone's always on their phone and they say, oh, I'm on my character app, it's 
bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're spot on. And you can tell. You can tell when someone's checking rules and when someone's playing Candy Crush or, you know, whatever else it might be that they're they're doing. There's just there's a if you're still connected to the game, when you're checking rules, you're you're gonna have an ear on it, you're gonna still have focus on it because your focus is still RP related. It's all yeah. it's all together. But I realize I'm doing think a lot about of hand gestures. With, with like war games, right? Like if you're playing a game, you've got your codex or your battle tome open in front of you. I'm talking to you, referencing mm-hmm. back to my book. I'm not permanently losing yeah. my book. So the so take note, everyone. The thing about having your phone in front of you all the time doesn't wash. We know you're playing Candy Crush. <laughs> um, and I think the the spin off of this that that we kind of wanted to talk about with with regards to GMing. Um, and it does it ties into kind of GM appreciation to a to a point is pay to play um role playing games and, and GMing sessions because they're becoming especially in lockdown where online uh RPGs are becoming a lot more necessary. Um we're seeing a lot more GMs offering services uh mm-hmm. as, as GMs online and, and charging players for the privilege. So thought we could have a bit of a, a quick dialogue about that. Uh I yeah, I so I think I think one of the things that you guys pointed out because you, you guys have uh, been involved in a discussion on Facebook about this. Uh, I I don't think it's weird. Uh, I I think that's a perfectly if 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 someone wants to if that's how someone wants to spend their money and uh, I can totally see why someone would want to do it as well. You might have a group of friends who really want to give D- Dungeons and Dragons a go, but none of you are like so familiar or confident with the rules and setting that you'd be you know you'd be wanting to do the gm part so i I completely get it um i think other than a couple of times where i've been to organized play sessions though i don't think i've ever actually parted money to uh to pay a gm i think the only time was when uh if tom's been buying in like materials or uh, supplements uh, and well, little do you know, in. Josh, you've got a humongous invoice headed your way, boy. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a, it's an interesting one because I think there are two ways you can look at it. Um, I think you can go straight up pay to play, which is I'm running a session tonight, be it organized play, I'm you know I'm running it online, whatever it is, and you're going to pay me four pound for the session, you know, mm-hmm. two pound to the venue, two pound to me. I've seen it done a, a couple of different ways. Uh, and that's going to cover my costs for, you know, traveling in potentially, you know, food that I have to get while I'm there and a contribution towards like books and prep time and things like that. Because for every yeah. sort of hour of role playing time you're getting from a GM, they've probably put another half an hour into that to prep it at least, yeah. I would say, mm-hmm. if, if I'm being generous. Mm-hmm. But the way I kind of do it, I don't charge you guys. I've, I've never put a, you know, a, a fiscal value to the sessions I run for you. But I think mm-hmm. there's a couple of of interesting sort of social socially accepted dynamics where like for example as you said if i need like lots of maps and i know it's going to cost me like 40 quid i'll be like look i'm going to have to buy 40 quid of the maps would you guys chip, mind chipping in a fiver towards it each yeah. the other thing as well is i think there's a bit of player deference where it'll be like gm gets choice of seats gm sets times gm sets you know uh start time end time the as well as that you know you'll you'll get people who like scott makes me dinner when we used to play at home Mm -hmm. so i didn't have to deal with that when we get off the bus you'd go to the shop and get me things i needed from the shop you know there's there's ways that you pay in a less direct fiscal way you know where you support the gm and i think that's a really good way tying it to to appreciation as well to kind of show you appreciate your gm and contribute towards their 
running costs, for want of a better word? I'm going to come straight in with, uh, I actually think that, um, I, I don't know where it comes from, but I, I feel like maybe it's the fact that we now have basically a working population that's lived through two once-in-a-lifetime financial catastrophes. That, that mm-hmm. could be a contributing factor. But I think that there is a real prevalent poverty mentality um, throughout the Western world, for want of a better word, and you see it in everything. You see it, you see it in folks like uh, you know quit quibbling about prices for like art commissions on Twitter. There, there's a great page on Twitter if if stuff like this tickles your funny bone. It's called For Exposure, and what happens oh, is artists yeah. anonymously send in messages that they've been sent from people. And you know it's it's anything from like someone looking for someone to animate this concept that they've had for an entire TV show, and 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 you know it'll have statements in it like you better not be driven by money, you should be doing this for the art and all that. Is it as if wanting to be paid for what you do points to some sort of moral deficiency? <laughs> yep, uh, I, I get that. I I just like and. It, it really, to be frank, it really pisses me off, uh, given the fact that I, I've spent the last 10 years um, working in construction. Mm-hmm. And th- there is a link here. Um, and that that is an industry that has a lot of very unfair reputations surrounding it, where there, there's this perception that, that tradesmen are... Uh, have this propensity to rip people off, to overcharge them, where actually the reverse is true, because there's very yeah. little protections in place for self-employed people. So what it does mean is that you speak to anyone who's self-employed, be they a tradesman, an artist, or whatever, they will have a string of stories about times that they've been ripped off, times that they've ha- they've spent sometimes literally hours arguing with someone, trying to justify the price that they've charged them for things. And for me... This this whole thing about that you know that the the gripes that we saw on Facebook, Tom, about uh, pay to play with D and D is just another manifestation of that mentality. Yeah, is that you know that that sense of entitlement, that sense that you know they shouldn't have to pay for something. And do you know what? I'm going to bring class into this. Generally speaking, it's people that have money that complain about having to part with it. Yeah, I don't think that's uh, that's necessarily untrue uh, at yeah. all. I was just going to say, I think similarly, uh, another reason behind it, Ben, is I think uh, there's an ignorance on some people in that they don't view, they don't view it as work for the person involved. Mm-hmm. Like some people, yeah, like, but but this but this is the thing again, right? Is that you know it's that thing about it being perceived as a moral deficiency. It's like, well, if you enjoy it, you shouldn't be getting paid for it. Yeah, which is uh, yeah, which is complete bullshit because you know that's fine. I will enjoy you know painting my own miniatures or running my own games. <laughs> well, like yeah. it's you who's come to me. <laughs> like, yeah, that's it. You you come to me for a service, and um, I said this in the Facebook group. You know, it's it's the the quote from the Joker from from Dark Knight. You know, if you're good at something, don't do it for free. And you shouldn't. Yeah. You know, a, a GM, a good GM. I thought, I thought you were going to say you get what you deserve there. <laughs> <laughs> so like, no, no, the other Joker film. Sorry. Yeah. So like, 
Um, yeah, so, so you know, a GM, a good GM, which which most of your pay-to-play GMs will be, because otherwise they won't get the the service, right? They won't get the customers. Yeah. It's gonna they're gonna have a lot of books that they've read. They put a lot of time into that. They've, they've bought those books. They put hours into f- refining their craft. You know, learning how to do a, a game justice. Much like Ben says, we're like tradesmen. You know, it's it's not just what you see on the surface. You know, it's not just you're buying, you know, a bit of plaster for the wall. You're buying the time that tradesman's put in to, to learn the skill, you know, all the exactly, all the underlying yeah. costs behind it. And people just don't see that. And they go, oh, well, you know, you're a GM. You GM for your friend for free. You're not my friend, for a start. <laughs> you're a randomer <laughs> who, who wants me to do something for him. Um, I, had a, I had a similar one on the opposite side of it where I got an art commission because I get, quite often, if I've got a role play group for any period of time, I'll get an art commission of the group and yeah, sure. sometimes I'll like either ask the group to contribute or I'll get it like as a present for them uh, because I love the you know seeing the party kind of brought to life uh, on the page um, sure. and I, I paid like 200 quid for one once and I showed it to someone who who wasn't really related to, to the RPG community I said oh you know this is a commission I've got and they said oh, how much was that and and I said oh it's about 200 quid and they're like you got ripped off and I was like I really didn't and I, see the thing about and like you'll know this Tom but we're, this is where the benefit of the viewers right is there's a good chance that commission you got took more than 20 hours to do mm-hmm. like mo- yeah. most artists are not even making minimum wage and a lot of people don't realise this yeah. exactly and you know I, I love supporting like commission artists and I'll, I'll pick different ones you know to, to sort of support them because it's, it's, a, it's a tough market you know people are trying to cut mm. costs on you you know you've got a lot of competition um, mm. And and every artist I've worked with, I've never had a bad a bad experience with one. And I've I've been lucky, admittedly, because I know there are some cowboys out there. But every commission artist I've worked with, I've given them details of what I wanted. You know, they've come back across the way. They've come back and said, you know, how's this? You know, to get feedback and updates. And if I've said, you know, that needs changing, they'll go away and change it, which is then more of the time than the initial cost that they would have you know, kind of yeah. built into the, the quote they've given me. And I've never had someone say, you know, well, I changed that three times, so I'm charging you an extra 50 yeah. quid. So I think if someone's good at what they do and, and you're getting a service from them, pay them, pay them fairly. You know, like, don't yeah, bitch yeah, and whine about it. I mean, like, ultimately as well, like, all of these things that we're describing, like getting commission painting for miniatures or commissioning, like, a, uh, a bit of art for uh, an RPG group, these are all very much luxury items. Mm-hmm. So if you're bulking at the thought of spending £200 on this uh, bit of commission art, maybe you don't need it. And yeah. you, shouldn't be, you shouldn't be buying it. I, think well, I, I, told you, I told you guys the other day, I actually had... Um, this person will remain anonymous. Mm-hmm. But I actually had someone... Uh, he came to me asking me about a commission. And then he asked about... A student discount which you know fair enough i get that but at the same time it's a luxury item you know it's mm-hmm. not it's not like uh you know your books or anything like that where you know perhaps a, a student discount is in order uh, and when i gave him the price he ghosted me after that by the way so <laughs> i think that says a lot about the guy's overall attitude right but yeah it's uh, like 100 percent. it's it's a you know things like that are luxury items but it feeds in against to the fact that you know all of these are manifestations of a sense of entitlement mm-hmm. right do you think this is getting better or worse i think it's getting worse a lot worse i think we have a 
we have a culture now where people have a real sense of entitlement. They have a real sense that, you know, they deserve whatever they want one way or another. Mm -hmm. This is me getting a bit cynical about society in general, right? But people, they don't want to work for stuff. They don't, you know, they, they want things given to them for free. Um, and, and it's just, it's a horribly progressive thing. You see it with like complaint culture and, and even to a degree cancel culture, um, you know, where people just feel like they deserve to be able to dictate terms of things. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you have no place beyond being a consumer to do that. And I've, I've seen it both in professional roles I've had and, and in sort of more personal projects. Uh, my dad films, films weddings for his career, or at least he did before he retired. Mm -hmm. And he said he, he has never in his life seen as much entitlement as he saw when he was filming weddings for people because it's their special day they would they would yeah. expect him to do things that were quite literally physically impossible you know to, to be in six places at once or yeah. to have cameras you know hanging from the ceilings of churches and stuff uh, you know just because they wanted it a certain way and he said you know it, people lose sort of a grasp on reality sometimes because they just want what they want and it doesn't matter what, what the actual availability is yeah, it's a shame. To to bring it back to to GMing as well, one thing that that I I have seen a lot is people going, "I can't get a GM." Blah blah blah. I can't afford to pay for someone to GM. Blah blah blah. And mm. my my response to that is, if you can't get a friend to GM and you can't afford to pay for someone to GM, why don't you learn to GM? And yeah. a lot of people say, Aye, "Absolutely." A lot of people will say, "Oh, well, I I don't want to be a GM. I don't know how to GM. I don't have the confidence to GM." I wasn't born a GM. I didn't pop out the womb with a player's handbook in my hand and a set of dice. Like I was literally a GM because nobody else in my group at a teenage age wanted to be a GM. Mm -hmm. So I took the books, I read them, I studied them, I started running and you know, I learned to appreciate it and enjoy it and and I do enjoy it. You know, it's not to be not to be cynical. Um I do enjoy it, but it, you learn the skills and that's the same for anything. If you can't afford someone else to do it, learn to do it yourself, at least for luxury items. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. I still need to have a crack at it. I've I've been threatening to have a, a shot at running Call of Cthulhu, just because I think that I really like that system and I feel pretty confident uh, with the rules of Call of Cthulhu compared to like a lot of other systems. It's a um, it's a fairly rules light system as well. You can there's a lot yeah. of the extra stuff you can just ignore and and keep it very simple for yourself, which is a great one for for a new GM like yourself. And there's loads of source material to draw from for, for oh, I mean, decades worth. Yeah. <laughs> right. Quite literally. Like, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Um, just if, if, uh, if, if, if you're in that scenario, have a crack at it yourself. What is the worst that can happen? Um, yep. Appreciate your yeah. GMs and pay people for their services. That's the, the takeaways from today's episode. There we go. <laughs> Right, yeah. Well, uh, I think on on that on that more upbeat note, <laughs> I think that's all we've got time for. So uh, once again, guys, thank you very much for listening. Until next time, take care. Bye. Bye. Thank you.